not winning 90% of your new business because you have some sort of incredible value. I'm going to take a bit of a different angle. You know, I've got a budget this big. I'm going to give it to you because you have a, a really killer plan. You give a Red Bull to a turtle, what do you expect? <laughs> I think that's a dead turtle. <laughs> so let's move on to... Uh, e break. Cheers. 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 Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way, with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hi there, and welcome to the Digital Insurance Pint Podcast. Now we're into season three, and I don't know about you, but I'm still stuck in my basement because I haven't got a vaccine yet. So anyhow, uh, with that in mind, we'll get going. As always, I am joined uh, by my colleagues and co-host, Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance, Adam Mitchell, CEO of Mitchell & Whale Insurance, and Steve Earle, CEO of Cheap Insurance. And today, we are extraordinarily pleased to have Charlene Rambeo with us from Aviva, where she is something called a digital marketing consultant. Charlene, I will get you to give us a bit of your background and explain what the heck a digital marketing consultant does. Over to you. Happy to be here. So my role is, is, is fairly unique to the insurance industry. So I help brokers across Canada with their digital strategy. One thing that's unique about this role is it's brand agnostic. So even though Aviva, you know, pays me biweekly, um, I'm not paid to promote Aviva. I'm just here to come in to, to solely help brokers on digital strategy. If you grow, eventually you'll grow with Aviva, but, but that's not my motive. My motive is essentially just to help brokers. Awesome. Awesome. All right. That's great. Thank you very much, Charlene. And um, Jeff, I'm going to get you to help our audience find a bit more about Charlene. So I'm going to get you to do our little rapid fire quiz here for Charlene. So uh, go ahead. All right. Welcome, Charlene. Season three. Great to have you. Uh, we're going to do our digital rapid fire part of the program. So let's jump into it. First of all, question number one, your favorite Canadian band. Favorite Canadian band. Ooh, that's a tough one. I'd say Dead Mouse. Everyone chooses uh, these rock bands, but let's go, let's go a little electronic. A little electronica, yeah, nice. All right. Uh, what, what's your favorite genre of music? I'd say like, I'm, lately it's a lot of 80s. Like I love Whitney, ah. love, yeah, can't get enough. Nice, the bodyguard, little Whitney Houston, awesome. Uh, now, are you a beer fan or a wine fan? I like anything with alcohol content. Like I'll, I'll be honest. Woo, that's drinking. why you're insurance. I got, I got the little juicy IPA, and funny enough, that's my nickname. So, <laughs> is it really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your nickname is Little Juicy, or Little Juicy? Nice, me. that's cool. We don't even have to, we don't even have to jump to what's your nickname. So that's awesome. In the insurance industry, industry or any industry, who's your favorite role model and why? Ooh, that's a tough one. Truthfully, in the insurance industry, I respect like the traditional brokers that's just out there hustling. The one that's still like won't commit to digital. That's like trying to get in despite COVID restrictions to shake people's hands. Like yeah. that's, that's the guy that I look up to is like the guy that doesn't care about digital, still nice. traditional and still killing it. Cause you can do both. Yeah. yeah. You're every day I'm hustling, hustling, little old school. So yeah. love it. And uh, last question, when COVID is over, where's the one place you're going to travel tops your list you dream about every day? I would definitely go back to Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Like I'm there. Steve, I'm, I'm not, I, I like small town. 
Hey, that's awesome. Hey, great job. That's in a rapid fire. Tom, great job, Charlene. Love the insight. Or a little juicy, we'll call you now. Tom, back to you. <laughs> I'm going to have a hard time not calling you a little juicy throughout the whole thing here. I'll but, take uh, it. That makes Steve big juicy. But, uh... <laughs> I don't okay, mind so... that one either. <laughs> I'll take that okay, nickname so any day. We, uh, you know, part of our, our whole shtick here, besides having fun and calling each other weird nicknames, uh, is really about sharing expertise that this group has and that our guests have with brokers. So I'll kick it off and then I'm going to invite my, uh, my co-host here to jump in and we'll just let it rip. So speaking of that, uh, you know, that guy who's out there hustling and, you know, may not want to get into digital, um, you know, for those who are hustling and, you know, are the digital, want to get into digital, you know, sometimes it can be really difficult to start, you know, so let's, let's talk about, you know, that group of brokers who are really trying to get into it or, you know, get to the, second stage maybe you can talk about a handful of you know three to five key tools that you think brokers should be using and uh, you know it could be their bms but but don't restrict yourselves just to the additional tools what are those three to five key tools that that you think that brokers should be using today yeah i think that's perfect and funny enough like whenever you tell a broker like we'll help you with your digital strategy they're immediately like, I don't want to be an Adam Mitchell. I don't want to be a Jeff Roy. Like that's always the, the, the baseline. I agree. Yeah, that's, that's, got about nothing to do with digital. that's got nothing to do with digital. Okay. Exactly. Just for the record. They just don't want to be Adam or Jeff. That was actually Steve's answer. But yeah. So when we talk about digitization, it's taking existing processes, things like that, that you can optimize through technology, process changes, things like that. So I think like number one that every broker needs is a CRM or a lead management system. You'd be surprised how many brokers you'd ask, like, what's your cost per acquisition? How many leads did you get in each month? What's your close ratio? And they have no line of sight to what that is. They know that they're growing. They know that they're, you know, putting business on the books, but they don't have those metrics. They don't have line of sight to, you know, how they're following up with leads, how many touch points they have, what the workflows look like, things like that. So I think, you know, in this day and age with the volume of people searching for, you know, insurance, the volume of people looking for contact. Um, email marketing, things like that, like your lead management system is going to be your go-to for both commercial and personal end brokers. Where do people start? So they get a lead management system. Um, you can go pipe drive, you can go yeah, any number of lead management systems. You can start with an Excel table, but what sort of things do you want to see them tracking or would you advise they track? Yeah. So with the lead management system, it's anything that comes in from the website Phone isn't there yet. There's some integrations that you can do with. You can get the phone and see the phone lead through. But any of the leads that come through the website, you should be able to track by channel. So whether, you know, you're doing paid advertising, did it come in through organic? And that's where the tagging and stuff comes into play. But you should be able to track by channel, what product, and then when it goes to an actual broker itself, what does that follow-up time and touch points look like? So within the dashboard itself, you should be able to see like close rate, um, obviously that doesn't feed back and forth. And I know that's a big pain point that you guys always talk about too, is just that API integration, that passing back and forth with the BMS. Um, there's very few integrations that actually work end to end. Um, so it is going to be a lot of manual matchback. So how do you set up a process in place that your brokers are using it, they're tracking it, and then you're holding them accountable to that information. One of the things we talk about regularly is people get all the leads, but they don't have any way to handle them. They don't track response time. So they're generating a ton of traffic, but it's, 
it's all falling through their fingers and they're wasting time and stuff like that because they can't measure it. So I think that's really key. Uh, a number of us here have 20, 30, 40 different products in our MarTech or InsureTech stack of technology. You mentioned CRM is one of the key tools. What else do brokers need? Like what's the go-to stuff they have to have in their brokerage to survive to be successful? Yeah, for sure. So number two, I'd say is email automation. So once you have that lead management system, you're following up with leads, you know, you're manually calling, you're manually sending emails. Then at that point, when you haven't closed that business, how do you automate that process with touch points? So that's where your automation tools come in. And we've been seeing brokers use things like Pathway, MailChimp, you know, Zoho, CRM, HubSpot have their own built in. But how do you set up a workflow through email automation that it takes time off the broker having to manually send emails and you can automate those workflows? So that's when we've seen text message has been another big one, too. Text message automation. I know, Jeff, you do a fantastic job with the text message automation on your side um, because that's what we're seeing now. It's phone, text, and email is kind of the trifecta of touch points that we're seeing being automated. Is there any on the email automation side? There's uh, obviously the the touch points like, you know, we, we create a certain journey or experience when people call in or do a digital lead with texting, emailing, phone calls. We've got a sequence that we've dialed in and we try and stick to it the best we can. Uh, what other things in terms of email automation should brokers be doing in terms of, you know, onboarding people or cross selling or setting up a funnel that if the person they don't sell them in year one, they get permission and opt in for year two. Is there a, a number of other things they should be using the email automation for that you consult on or recommendations? Yeah, and email automation, you have to almost split the audience. So you have your prospects that kind of literally live in your lead management system. You're trying to catch them, you're trying to capture them. And then you have the ones that are existing customers. So the existing customers you have, you'll have your onboarding, you're gonna have your retention type play, you're gonna have your cross sell, you're gonna have additional touch points, maybe a birthday email, a survey mid-year. You know, there's a lot more touch points there. And I think that's where a lot of brokers fall short is they focus on the acquisition part, the email touch points, but that retention workflow and that, you know, constant touch points with their actual customers falls flat. And that's what we're seeing right now with COVID. A lot of people are shopping and we're seeing retention slip for a lot of brokers as well. You've, you've gone to lead management. So Tom's starting his new brokerage and he's, now followed your advice. He bought a lead management system. He's, he's working on that. Um, he has an email automation tool as laid out. Is he is he all set or or is there more in this stack of, of tools that he needs to think about? The third one I would say is self-serve portal. So we're seeing this pop up a lot more. Um, we actually did a survey at Aviva then just asked like, what are some things you want to do online? And people always view their policy document, number one. Another question that we asked them too is like, would you be likely to switch and one in three customers actually said they'd be likely or extremely likely to switch insurance providers to get access to an online portal. So we're seeing that big shift in the marketplace. And a lot of things fuel that, right? There was the mail delay with COVID. Um, there's a lot of people focused on sustainability, paperless options, going green. So like that's a selling point. And then also it's just like having the ability to have that document in your hand a lot faster versus waiting for the mail or, you know, having that to file it away in a cabinet. You tell us like off the top of your head, like, what are sort of the most used tools out there that brokers should look at for that piece? So there's lots of different integrations happening in the marketplace um, and they're constantly evolving. So what you're going to start to see in the marketplace now with like the launch of telematics is telematics has its own app, you know, intact has its own client portal, things like that. But I think brokers really need to get ahead of that and create their own portal or leverage some of these existing portals in the marketplace right now to get their customers on board. So Charlene, do you see many brokers that are trying to quote unquote go digital 
perhaps hiring a marketing firm uh, to help them with their their website, uh, their pay-per-click, managing all that. But nothing's happening when the phone actually does ring or they get the get the leads. Yeah, that's a huge problem we're seeing. Because what ends up happening is like your digital team kind of sits in this silo. They're creating all these like exciting workflows, tools, technology, spending all this money. But at the end of the day, if your people aren't picking up the phone, you're not closing policies. You're not getting back to customers. And that's why like we do mystery shops to find out where that, you know, hole lies in the workflow. Because a lot of brokers will tell us digital leads are garbage. You know, they don't pick up their phones. They don't get back to us. They're not great leads. And then we do an assessment and we find out your people actually aren't picking up the phones. They sell a, they send a PDF or a Word document with 50 underwriting questions that the person has to get back to you on. And then they wonder whether close ratio is five or 10%. So we always have to look at the full end to end. You can't just take the word of like, you know, we're trying all this stuff digitally. And that's where I think it comes down to like the metrics too in the lead management system. We have brokers that are spending tens of thousands of dollars each month, but can't tell you how much they close. So how do you optimize spend if you if you don't have line of sight to that metric? So I know Adam and I used to geek out five years ago about close ratios, acquisition costs, cost per, to acquire a client, all that kind of stuff. And we tried to get better and better at tracking that. And that's when our eyes opened up because you ask most brokers how they grow and they say referrals and, uh, you know, centers of influence is a common answer. But when they look at it, those are hard to scale. There's very few brokers can scale that really well, but digitally you can actually scale and grow it, right? Well, that's the funny thing with referrals too. This is what we always tell brokers. It's like, yeah, you can tell your friend that Excalibur Insurance is where you get their insurance from, but they still have to go on Google and search Excalibur Insurance. And if they can't find you or they go to your site and it doesn't load or they go to your site and it looks like it was built in 2003, like, you know, what kind of user experience is that for a person? What is So what's the target? I mean, what's the bullseye on the speed to picking up your phone or what's the gold standard you see amongst the top 10% of your secret shops or? Yeah, I'd say within an hour. So that's what we're saying within an hour. One interesting thing, and this is a gap that we see with a lot of brokers, is Monday morning, start of day, is when we do a lot of our mystery shop tests because that's when brokers are catching up with weekend leads, you know, everything that came in Friday after hours, and nobody gets back to you in that Monday morning. So that's where a lot of brokers are winning. Monday, we probably have 200 by noon to sort through, and we won't catch up until... Monday late day or Tuesday early. So that's absolutely true. Yeah, bang on. It's, it's hard. One of the struggles we find is getting people to want to work weekends. We're trying. We're training a virtual assistant right now from Puerto Rico to work with us, but just trying to find people to work that are licensed, they're educated to handle stuff on the weekends is a void that I know some brokers would do a good job of it, but it's been a tough thing, especially during COVID to find people to do that. So we have the same problem Adam has. I think all digital brokers, you got 150 leads, they're triaged and people call as quickly as they can. And luckily they've been assigned and the person got a text or an email email over the course of the weekend they know who their salesperson is but you haven't made that contact and you always worry that those people that could fulfill on the weekends we're at the mercy of losing business to them right the directs the people that ask four questions to write it right here's the next problem so you start to solve that you get some real entrepreneurial people that want to make a deal to work into the evenings weekends other hours and do it well if you sold somebody in an evening and weekend they damn well expect that you're going to be open to service them on that same. So then you got to rebuild that entire thing again onto your service side of which none of our partners are open to do business or take exceptions or take a phone call. So until you have complete carte blanche access through of the pen, 
we are stepping up to meet customers' expectations and open on weekends and eight to eight, but we have to take all kinds of wingers and liberties because there's not a single one of our insurance partners that have extended their hours past the bank's hours. The customers aren't there yet. Like they know if I submit a quote in Friday at midnight, no one's going to get back to me on Monday morning. But like to your point, if you have 150, 200 leads to get to on Monday morning, I'm not getting followed up if I'm a new Monday morning customer till Tuesday. But think about how many other quotes I'm getting and how many other brokers are getting back to me. Sorry, the contact rate, if you wait until Monday, any day, Monday morning, Monday afternoon from a Friday lead, I bet you dollars to donuts, your contact rate's going to be under 25% of those people picking up. You will have jammed your system with so much dead wood. It's unbelievable. Charlie, let me ask you a couple of questions here. You mentioned uh, sort of following along the line of thought that uh, Adam just brought up. So you mentioned that uh, about an hour to get back to somebody. So this is a two-part question here. So is that what the customer expects or is that what the broker is doing? So it's part A. And secondly, how do you, do you have any advice for brokers to effectively triage that business coming in so they can get to, you know, of that 100 ones that came in, there's probably 25 or 30 that are super hot, you know, a bunch of tire kickers. People may have already buggered off because they wanted the instant feedback. So how, how, do you, how do you help your staff avoid wasting their time? How do you get to the meat of what's in that batch of 100 or 150 most effectively? Yeah, and this is where it comes down to like the lead management system. So there's like, you look at a Zoho, for example, there's different, um, I guess, questions you can ask in the forum that sends the lead into that lead management system that can qualify that lead. So whether it's default for non-payment claims, years of driving history, whatever they're filling out in that form, you can associate with the number. And then in that BMS or that lead management system, it'll actually show what that number is. So if you have tens in there and you know that that's going to be your best risk, they came in, multiple policies, whatever. Maybe they're flagged in your system. You're picking them up first. And then everyone else that's like a five and below gets an automated email. You're not wasting time with a phone call for them. So there's different things you can do there. And that's when you get more sophisticated and understand your audience is that lead scoring fit. And that that hour gap thing, is that something you guys have? I know you, you do mystery shops and so on, and you look at some of the consumer trends. That hour, is that coming from actual customer behavior? Is that is that sort of the best that brokers can do these days? Yeah, see, it's hard to gauge because if you're like a five-person team, it's hard for you, depending on the volume that you get in, to get back to everybody at the same time. If you have a call center model that you're just round-robbing calls around, yeah, it's super easy for you to get back to a customer in five minutes, right? So I think it just depends on the brokerage. We're saying an hour flat, but what we always do is we compare it to previous shops, and I think that's the best metric. Also, like every broker has a different setup. Some brokers actually don't pick up the phone, and their first contact is an email. So we can't really do a baseline there because that's just the way they're set up. They they refuse to do any phone contact. It's up to the client to get back to them. What what about seasonality? What what changes throughout the, the year? So seasonality, what we've seen is like auto insurance is going to be hot all around the year. It usually picks up right now. So like March, April, May, June, July. July is when you get a little foggy because everyone's on vacation. July, August, September picks back up. So there's different months, but I'd say... Spring, summer is probably your hot months and where most of the renewals fall. Um, an interesting thing that we're seeing out of COVID is a lot of people bought vehicles late last year. So we're seeing some of those renewals come in later in the year just because COVID didn't end in September whenever we really thought it would. Uh, and people were just tired of transit, commuting, leaving the city and buying new vehicles. So renewals are kind of all over the place now as well because we did see that spike at the end of last year. People people bought new cars in September, October because they all sold them back in March and April. There you go. (laughs) And then the other thing you're seeing in the marketplace too is like think about all the rebates that hit the market last year, April. 
those guys are coming up for renewal now. And then rates are going to decrease in May 1st as well. So like, how do we, you know, track the volume that's coming through? So all these different triggers in the market are causing people to switch. Charlene, a fundamental question out of the performance of all the brokerages that you see, and, I, and I've debated this with a number of brokers, you see models where you have uh, selling CSRs and personal lines versus dedicated service people and dedicated salespeople. Who's performing better and what's uh, a better model, I guess, insofar as tracking leads and all that? We've seen various models. Um, what I think is successful is that you have a dedicated sales team, a dedicated service team, and a dedicated retention team, which is separate. That's a new one we've been seeing where they just focus on retention business. So if you think about that, like that's a big gap a lot of brokers don't have. We don't hear that often where you have somebody just focus on renewals, retaining business, touching base. Um, and, and they're the ones getting the downloads on who's up for renewal, you know, changes in the policy premium, and they're reaching out to those customers proactively. That's a new thing we're seeing. And I think this is due to the fact that we have been seeing retention numbers slip for a lot of brokers. So one question you brought up lead scoring. Uh, is there any third party softwares you recommend that we can use? We currently we score things. We get people on the phone and we can assess the risk. We use a simple zero to five uh, way to score the leads based on quality of risk. And we overlay that based on cost to give us a big view. And we do have a new program called Sales Wings we're implementing right now that actually will tell how often people are on our website, how often they're opening emails, et cetera, to see how interested they are. Uh, is there any third party stuff where we can pipe data in to do that automatically? Because I was not aware of, I think Opt is about the only company that maybe has that kind of data. Is anybody using a third party system to, before it comes in the door to segment that before anybody touches that? Or is that kind of the next generation or the next dream scenario? Yeah, it, it's very hard. Like, even if you look at like how we can target, like the, the high level we can get to is like FSA level where you're just assuming you know, people are coming in, they're going to be a good risk if they live in a certain neighborhood, things like that. But there's so many other layers we can't target. In Canada, you can't target income, you know, you can ask for credit consent, things like that, but you can't base it on credit score. So um, nothing exists right now, but we've seen some brokers kind of make shift it based on the information they want to collect. So, you know, if you know the age, date of birth, location, um, and you can kind of put some logic behind it in the back end. You can score it based on like an FSA list and things like that, but nothing as sophisticated as, you know, getting into like full details. But Charlene, let me, uh, we've talked about uh, some of the tools here and what brokers can do. So, and you know, th that other different brokers have different setups and whatnot. So if you think about it from a, from a digital customer's perspective, somebody who wants to interact as digitally as possible with a broker, can you, can you give us, can, you don't have to give any names, but what is sort of the, the best digital outcomes that you've seen any broker provide? So we have a couple of brokers that do kind of like that no phone transaction. So what they end up doing is it's all done through email. They do e-signature, um, they track it through, you know, they get everything done, consent through email, all of that stuff. And they actually never talk to the customer on the phone which I think is unique in that case. Like, you know, we are going to see more and more people wanting to interact with somebody, but maybe not talk on the phone. It's easier to transact through email if I'm at work, things like that. And the conversation doesn't have to be real time. I can send the email, wait for a response. So we've seen that. Uh, my fear with that though, is you actually never talk to a person. Like how do you verify that this person is legit? There's no fraud. Um, so that's kind of where it becomes, you know, questionable. Like, how are you verifying that? How are you documenting those conversations through email and the BMS? 
How are you tracking those conversations? How are you requesting changes and validating those changes if they haven't talked to a broker? Yeah, it's interesting to say not talking about talking to people who's had an experience yesterday. My son who's with Telus for his internet called me up and said he was having trouble getting through the the AI robot uh, receptionist person. So I'm like, well, clearly don't know what you're doing. So I'm like, I'll call them because at the end of the day, he, he wanted to talk to somebody about his billing, right? They they were supposed to give him a discount. They didn't give him the discount. Sent him the full bill. And so I went on the line with this Telus reception robot. I couldn't get through. I literally could not figure out how to talk to a human being. What I finally did was went onto their chat system and said, "Here's my phone number. Call me." And then. Ironically, instantly, I gave my, my son's phone number, instantly they called him. Like, this is, this is just weird. Like, I found this a really weird experience. Like, they're out there saying, you know, we don't want you to talk to our humans because we have this AI robot, which cannot do what I want to do. But you want to talk to a human? Oh, just send us a message. We'll call you right back. Like, how is that good customer service? I didn't get it. But, but sounds, similar, sounds similar to brokers' experience with insurance companies, except they don't have the... <laughs> <laughs> little chat thing that gets them to call you back right away. So, but it definitely definitely saves on expenses that way. Um, so, Sh Charlene, what what tools are these folks using? So they're just using like basic email. Like this isn't even automation that's being tracked. And that's what I wonder. Like, how are they recording some of these conversations? Because everything needs to be tracked at some point. But this is all done through Outlook communication. They're sending the policy documents. It's not done through a portal delivery. It's very traditional in the sense that it, it's just done through email. Hey, loyal listeners, when you hear me say CAS certified, that means that we use them in our agency. Are you a local insurance agent looking to take your business to the next level? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS, aka Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. But like in today's world, we use these initials like it's cool because it is. It's hip. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they offer the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing market. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and the guidance you need to see your agency succeed. Nationwide Brokered Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't you survive in the competitive insurance industry? Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions today. Get started today and learn more at mbsbrokerage.com. That's where you learn more, mbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. So when I asked you what was the best digital customer experience, you, you interpret that as who's the most likely to have an E&O claim? Well, that's the thing, right? <laughs> I haven't seen a full end-to-end -end kind of digital experience. Like if I can talk to like a buy online experience, like Square One, I think does a fantastic job. They only deal with property tenants, that, but you know, you go through, you have the interaction, you purchase your policy, they follow up with you in a day, a broker will call you and say, hey, can we review your policy, any questions? And then when it comes to renewal, what they do is they send you an email that says you've renewed. This is actually the changes in your policy. Congrats, you've saved X amount of dollars this year. Your policy actually went down. Any questions, feel free to reach out to us. And it's very easy, seamless, low touch. Uh, but somebody's there if you want to talk to somebody, but you don't need to talk so to somebody. So Charlene, I, I, I'm pretty sure that Adam has buy online option without humans. I know I do for one product, um, like talk about companies like uh, BrokerLift. 
Like they do that for brokers, right? Yeah. And I think the issue with some of those tools, like the broker lists and the polos of the world is you come through a broker, you found this online, you come through a broker, you see a price and it's a lot of money to throw down. If you think of like a tenant's policy, 200 bucks, hundred bucks, depending on where you live, when it comes to like home and auto, um, business insurance, things like that, we're talking a couple hundred bucks. Do I want to purchase that not knowing if I'm properly covered, properly insured? And I think that's what we're seeing with some of those tools. We see lots of people use them. They get to the point where they have to put in their credit card information, but there's no, hey, want to talk to a broker? Hey, confirm your policy. I'm, I'm committing to this. And I think that's where the anxiety comes in is what happens after I submit my credit card information. I think in Canada, like our, our adoption of quote buying an issue and people not talking to somebody is so much less than the UK. The UK is like 30, 40, 50% and rising. The US is higher. We've been lucky here because the consumer still want values. Our broker is speaking to somebody to make sure they have the right advice. They're fine buying really easy, simple stuff that, you know, four questions, five questions, you're covered. But the more complex stuff, they're good. So that's been a good defense. Now, do you see things starting to shift as insurance becomes more invisible? Uh, you saw Amazon jumping in with, I think it was Next. They have an agreement with them. Uh, you're going to start seeing people bundling insurance into stuff automatically into ecosystems in the future. I see that as a threat for brokers, but also an opportunity. Do you see more of that accelerating over the next three or four years? Is that kind of one of the, the next waves or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I can definitely see it because if you look at the big competitors on that buy online space, only is kind of like the dark horse that's kind of entered the marketplace. And what they're doing right now is they're building up a lot of brand awareness in the market, right? Tons of paid advertising, tons of like TV ads, we're working on an SEO strategy. Um, and they're doing what Bel Air did a couple of years back with like the night in the mall type of commercials where they built up that brand awareness and now people know Bel Air. So Omni is doing the same thing. And once you get comfortable with a brand, you've seen it, you know people that have bought through it, you're comfortable to buy online. When you think of an average auto policy in Ontario, it's like $3,000. It's a big commitment to purchase online from a brand you don't know. But if you've seen the advertising, you've read the Google reviews, you know other people that have purchased through it, you're okay to commit to it because you know it's a valid company. And I think that's the barrier a lot of people have to get past. And it's an expensive game to kind of build up that kind of brand awareness in the marketplace where people trust you and you've only been around for less than a year. We have obviously our insurance companies coming up with their digital brands. Sonnet's a prime example. Tons of money thrown at it. Budgets bigger than what the broker can provide. You know, you've got bigger entities now taking the first and two pages of Google up and you're seeing mass consolidation across Canada with more locations, more Google reviews, more juice. Is it going to, is the smaller broker going to be eventually squeezed out of getting attention in the digital space? Or do we still have a good ability long-term to be able to find a way to compete in that space with longer tail stuff? Well, how do you, what do you see things evolving? So I think like a lot of these kind of direct, you know, buying online players, they have to pay to play, right? They don't have physical office locations like on the app. Um, and the big gap we're seeing with brokers is they're not even ranking well where their actual physical office location is. And I think that's where they need to focus. You have some of these brokers in Ontario, Atlantic Canada, you know, BC, wherever it ends up being, and they're trying to rank for the full province. And it's like, focus on where your office location areas are. You should be on the first page. You should be prominent on the map location. You should get your Google reviews up. And then look at expanding. Because if you can't win in your own office location area and that you know um, area around it, how are you going to win across the province? So I think start small, dominate that, and then move on to other areas around it and kind of work outwards from your office location. 
unless you're at, you know, acquiring or you have like 35 office locations across Ontario, you're not going to dominate the province. As much as you want to invest in SCA, you're not going to compete against the lowest rates and, you know, the rates.ca and insurance hotline and some of those guys that are spending, you know, millions and millions of dollars, but your advantage is you have a location there. There's no reason why on a local basis you shouldn't rank on the first page. That, that's, that's great advice, Charlene. And I think that's something that's applicable to a lot, a lot of brokers. I mean, everybody wants to rank number one on Google, but unless you're spending, you know, huge amounts of money, there's no way you could do it on a broad brush basis. I mean, Intact spends tens, you know, tens of multiple tens of millions to get their positioning on, on Google. And most brokers don't have even that amount of revenue, let alone the ability to spend that kind of money just on SEO. So what do brokers have to do to win back some market share? Like what, what do you have to see out of brokers happening to see uh, good competition and, and something that's going to have staying power? Yeah, one of the big thing is like visibility on Google. I think that's one thing that a lot of brokers don't really focus on. They wonder why they're losing market share. They wonder why they're not seeing the same lead volume month over month. And it's because these competitors are coming into the marketplace, outspending you, pushing you down in Google rankings, and you're not doing anything to change your strategy. So if you think about it, every single broker should have location-based landing pages for products, like car insurance, Sudbury, home insurance, Sudbury, um, Google My Business reviews. So just making sure you're present on that map listing, you have your Google My Business page, you're getting reviews in that are positive. Your star ranking will help boost that, you know, overall ranking itself. And then site speed. Site speed is one that gets overlooked by a lot of brokers, the brokers that have like that four second load time on their mobile site, and they wonder why they're not ranking. It's going to push you down. It's going to really affect you. And a lot of brokers don't realize the amount of content they're putting on their page that they think are helping SEO, but it's, but it's nothing that's driving value. SEO comes from content, like text on a page. It's not the animation. It's not the embedded video. It's not all your emblems that you won, like this CSIO award and broker of the year and things like that. It's, that's not driving your SEO. It's going to be that content, that text-based content that people are searching. Now, I always get in the debate, like, yeah, you can have great content. You need to have, you know, 800, 1,000 word articles that have the right the right words in there. But it actually has to be readable and enjoyable. And it has to have some UX, some user experience, some customer experience tied in. You just can't slam a bunch of words on a page and expect to get the juice out of it like you did 15 years ago. My question is, I hear about page and domain rank. So you can have all the content in the world, but if you're ranked 12 millionth in the world, on hreps it doesn't mean jack anything because nobody can find you explain to me how important links are and and getting authority in in terms of boosting up your organic traffic yeah so the backlink strategy is one that a lot of people talk about it's not as easy to do because it's unless you're paying people to get blog posts links things like that it's very hard to get some of those um kind of high value listing unless you're in the news you're doing publications things like that but there's lots of quick wins that you can get within that space. Directory listing, so just having yourself on Better Business Bureau, Yelp, Google My Business, all of those different things. You've seen people kind of get into that area where it's still legal backlinks, but it's like your Spotify, your SoundCloud, your you know Flickr account, things like that, which are still giving you backlinks. But why does a brokerage need a SoundCloud? Like, are you going to drop an album? It doesn't make sense, but it's a backlink. It's a high authority backlink. 
At least in a lot of directory listings. Jeff might know. actually drop an album. If anybody, Jeff is definitely going to drop an album. Yeah, my rap album, my my 50 year old white rapper album that may not be go very far, but uh, hey, I do it in my stand up or my my presentations. They they seem to like it, right? But uh, I'll give you my nickname of Little Juicy. Okay, that's good. Well, you have to do we we'll have to do a cameo. We'll have to do some uh, mashups for insurance industry, right? Hey, one question. I'm hearing like it's one thing to get backlinks, but I, I when people buy websites of you know people over in Europe and they convert it over to insurance to get the juice. Is there not a thing called black hat SEO? Uh, there's a number of people, again, we watch a number of people in North America and I notice that some people, they've got links coming from stuff and it doesn't appear like, I, I don't think that's really ethical, but I don't think, I don't see anybody enforcing it. Is that something that brokers continue to do and does that strategy have a shelf life or Google doesn't care? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so it is black hat. And what they end up doing is they go to these auction sites and buy all these expired domains, take it over, put their links throughout, change the meta description stuff. So it looks like an insurance website, but it's selling Viagra or, you know, it's a retired, you know, basketball team in Russia or whatever it ends up being. Um, they aren't policing it as much as they should be. Like, We'll call out lowest rates does this. If you take a look at their backlinks, it's all sketchy backlinks. Uh, they'll tell you that they own the domains. They, they'll tell you that, you know, what they're doing is right. And it, it's hard to say unless you're reporting it, unless Google's cracking down on it, it's hard to say because they are doing a lot of good things in the SEO space. So the white hat stuff, the creating the content, getting actual backlinks, things like that. And so they're supplementing it with the black hat SEO. And I guess it cancels each other out. So they're not getting penalized, but. Yeah, it's it, you can compete against that stuff because if you're a small brokerage and you're building up all these fake backlinks, if you guys get shut down, you're done. Like there goes your brand, there goes your ranking on Google. You get de-indexed, you're not known, and you disappear. You have to like literally change your name and come back. So how do how do we do that to the uh, nefarious people that are other people that are doing it? Like. Uh... Anonymous reporting. Yeah, you anonymous can report. Reporting. You can report to Google anonymously. So technically, it's illegal for you to like pay someone to to give you a backlink. You know, it's not legal practice for you to say, "Hey, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks for you to put my link on your site." So that kind of thing. If you're selling ad space, you're selling links on your site to help people with that backlink strategy. That's technically gets flagged by Google, so you can start reporting some of these things. This is, uh, I think, a good time to uh, have my three colleagues here have their money put where their mouths are, because I think, Charlene, to my knowledge, these guys actually haven't seen what we were about to reveal, but you've done some web analytics on their web properties, and you've done mystery shops on these guys. So uh, I think we should have some sort of big, you know, da-da-da-da-da reveal here. Can we get a little uh, drum roll? Yeah, a little drum roll. So let me just check. Jeff, Steve, Adam, have you guys seen this this yet? Not seen nope. it. No. Okay. So this is uh, everybody gets this. Everybody gets to uh, see Jeff, Steve, and Adam get their kimonos opened uh, real time here. So uh... how many brokers <laughs> get upset at the mystery shop at the at the fact that there's a uh... <laughs> calculating your odds there, Adam? No, no, no. I guess it's it just as we're going into the mystery shop. Like, do you guys ever get? principals complaining like why are you clogging up my sales team and wasting the time with a dud no it's it's never that it's more so um how do i fire this person <laughs> or you know 
I'll be honest. I was at a mastermind meeting in Boston in 2013, and the the guy came, uh, Michael McLean came out, and he goes, "By the way, I mystery shopped all your offices. And I've got a recording." And everybody basically went completely silent, and white, uh, didn't say a word. They're they basically they're nervous, they were scared, and uh, basically they they rushed up to the room to listen to it immediately, and then he scored us the next day on it. So it's quite the first time you have that done. It's very nerve wracking. It's like when an artist releases an album you're putting yourself out in the universe right and you're getting graded and uh, it's uh, it's one of those things but that's the best way to keep you honest because again you're you no matter what who you are you're never going to have amazing results forever uh, you're always going to have ups and downs and dips and I liked your point about comparing yourself to yourself you know how you're doing baseline right and as COVID goes on it's getting more difficult for people to perform and hit those numbers because hiring staff's difficult you know people are kind of getting grinded down so mystery shopping now I, I got to think, you know, I know I, I expect our stuff to probably have a bit of a hit because everybody's working so hard. It's hard to staff up. So I'm really excited to see it, but you're always nervously optimistic. You're going to learn something from it. Right. So drum roll. You got the, you, you got a drum back there, Charlene. I know you've got the sound tracks going on. Right. Yeah. All right. I got my drum set right over there, but I don't want to bore you guys. So <laughs> yeah. Charlene. All right. Let's go. So when it comes to mystery shops, um, in number one place is Excalibur Insurance. So I got a phone call within 59 minutes. Second place is Cheap Insurance. I got a phone call within, or sorry, an email within one hour and 13 minutes, no phone call. So just transaction through email. And then Mitchell and Whale, end of pack there. Next day, I got a phone call at 2.45 p.m. And one thing I'll mention is I did all of these mystery shops open day, Monday morning. So again, with that gap coverage. So again, to Mitchell Adam Mitchell's point, yeah, there's there's a lack of coverage there for that 9 a.m. What was the risk? Was it auto? Was it home insurance? Monoline home insurance. We used a, okay. a mid-level home. Good risk, no issues. Been insured for 10 plus years with the same carrier. If you ask those questions, I, I know out of Adam's form is just baseline. What product are you looking for? But again, it was good risks. It was 9 a.m. Monday morning, and I just wanted to see, like, how does that coverage come in if you're dealing with the weekend leads that are coming in, which makes sense for, for the numbers that we're seeing here and what we've heard back from you. But it's a good call out because, yeah, that gap coverage on Monday morning is key. Do you do first and last out? Do you do last and first out? Like, like how do you cover the backlog that exists? It takes a waiting. There is a waiting in the equation, but it's a very little amount on when it comes in. So we feed all the leads in and their probability of close into an AI engine to spit out the algorithm. Speed is a big one, um, but it's it's rated in the highest probability of close. So as opposed to getting into that one on Monday and get to the end of Monday where maybe you're caught up, um, they're likely throughout most of the day going to be fed the newest lead that comes in because that now has the highest probability to close. And that other one is you know, hate to say it, could be a rotting lead that, that is going to be a lower probability. So that's what I mean, though. The lead did come in Monday morning, and I got a call back Tuesday you, at 2.45. You came in Monday morning? Yeah. But by the time all the staff, so there's 20 people on the sales team that would show up Monday morning, there would be 200-plus leads waiting there yeah. for them. And then at a pace of probably one every few minutes would start coming in. So as soon as they turn on the machine, you are already 200 leads you're not 200 buried. You're probably 50 buried at nine. Can I defend myself now, Adam? Okay. <laughs> um, I would say that with the lead that you gave us, it might not pass the smell test because you didn't get a call. That's all I'm saying is like, 
you got the email. If you didn't get a call like that, it was not identified as being as hot as what else, whatever else they had in their hopper at that time. That was a mid to high level range home in a profitable neighborhood. So I understand Steve's point there, but that was a mislead. A monoline home lead is like a unicorn. Like who would not pick up that lead? You could have been King Tut. Like it, yeah. it didn't, it didn't matter to us. Like for us, I can tell you, we did not qualify that and choose not to call a home line. It was sheer volume. Yeah. And that's it. Um, so lots of different ways to do this. Charlene, we're getting close to the end of the episode here, but maybe just talk about some of the web analytics stats that you uh, discovered when you're looking at uh, Jeff Adams and Steve's uh, uh, operations. So one thing I looked at was Google page mobile speed insights. Uh, and I know this has been a pain point for some of, of you guys here. So Excalibur came in dead last at 12. So the rating, it goes from zero to hundred. Excalibur was at 12. Mitchell and Whale was at 52. And then Cheap, who just upgraded their servers and spent a lot of time on that, is at a 92. Nice! Which is fantastic. Nice! Perspective. Yeah. So that, that's pure speed, so like response time. I, I type in Excalibur Insurance or Cheap Insurance. How long does it take that first page to load? Exactly. On a mobile phone. I, I, I will jump in here. And again, I, I'm having this debate tomorrow with my web guy. Is our page speed with different analytics is loading in two seconds, if not less, on both, but yet we rank like a bag of hammers on the desk on the mobile version, but not the desktop. But he says that's not important, and I'm like, well, how? Do, if it's not important with Google, it's got to be important. So we're having this back and forth. I'm not happy with the load time, and every time I get whacked over the head with every analysis of the load time. But my web guy says so. I have a big debate tomorrow with him because I'm not happy. Haven't been happy about that for three months about that load time showing up. You can see what slows it down too. So if you get the Google Developers page speed site that shows it to you it'll it'll itemize the things that are slowing it down so on our site i can tell you um, we get knocked down a massive amount of points because we choose to load the live chat and the live chat running off of uh java and some other you know code there's just no way to lazy load it so that you get a true rating of how the page is loading and how efficiently it's built when you drag along this little backpack thing of live chat it kind of breaks the measure and so you can get Jeff exactly to those debates. Is the true site actually slow and does Google actually care or is it getting to make it care because of this thing that's dragging it back or automation? Oh, Adam, 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 you're just pissed that Papa beat you. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but I'm like, what matters? Because I have a different Google stat that shows my pages loading in two seconds, the, the true load speed and a different analytic, but yet I, I rag like a bag of hammers. So what matters, right? What matters? I'll volunteer the mistakes we made. We had our um, site built initially, the very first child theme by you know a very famous search engine optimization company, and they did a bad job. It was bubble sticks and, you know, bubble gum and chicken wire patched together. And then we did exactly what Jeff said. We then poured hundreds of thousands of dollars on top of the website to make it very big and comprehensive. So when we went to go make it faster to be able to do some other things we wanted with it, it's, it's a massive undertaking and another hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we are moments, hours away from launching a new platform of the site, it'll look identical, but the backend architecture changing, similar to Steve's speed. When you farm stuff out, you can get taken for a ride really, really easily. And you can, you can pump a lot of money into 
third parties, whether it's marketing firms or going to take over your website and do stuff for you that aren't doing any good. But Charlene, what's your take on having at least somebody in-house who understands the scope of what we're talking about here? What we see a lot of brokers do, and this is a big mistake, and you know, I'll say this and probably some brokers get offended is, you know, the guy building their website is their cousin or, you know, their brother-in-law or a client of theirs that they can't draw that isn't helping them grow, but they have the partnership for 15 years. A lot of those brokers need to go back and reassess and just say, hey, you know, you're sinking all this money in and you're not growing because you don't want to lose that relationship, but you're not making money. We did that. So. All of a sudden, I had an SEO guy charging me $2,000 a month and I, I, I looked at the metrics and we got some big lift immediately and then nothing happened. And then his response was, well, I'll drop your price down to a thousand. I'm like, no, no, I, I paid for this for a year. So I asked you and then you dropped my price down. So he was quickly fired within a, within a month. And I've got my current guy, uh, Steve, does a great job for the last four years, but you have to learn. And a lot of brokers don't know what to look for. Right. So half the battle is learning and, you know, learning from other people's mistakes yeah. and jumping on their learning curve. Right. So anyway, um, so I, I'm going to, um, say two things. One is, I think, uh, Steve, you have to rename yourself cheap and fast and then work on, you know, work on a third thing, but cheap and now you're, you're now cheap and fast. Um, and Charlene, cheap, fast and juicy. Oh my God. There we go. Cheap, fast and juicy. Good things coming threes. Um, Charlene, I'm going to give you, uh, a short period of time to get to wrap us up here. Uh, we've talked about a whole bunch of stuff, gotten, uh, Every one of the individual guys here pissed off at some point about their score. So well done on that. Equal opportunity, piss or offer. Uh, but so give us, give, us a, give us a bit of a wrap up here and we'll, uh, we'll close the episode. Yeah, I think for any brokers that are trying to get into, you know, digital and, and digitization, it's not the extreme of AI chatbots and quote to buy and online solutions. It's literally looking at your existing tools, your stack you know, your technologies that you have in house and how do you optimize that or implement new things to help automate some of those processes to free up brokers time to get back to customers, to have longer phone calls, to focus on retention. And that's what we can help with. Awesome. That's great, Charlene. And uh, we're going to give a shout out to our sponsors who will appear at the bottom of the screen here because we're currently still in negotiations, but by the time we're done, we're going to have some sponsors. So everybody give a big shout out to sponsors and hopefully our editor will put a logo where I'm pointing. <laughs> anyway, uh, Charlene, I really appreciate uh, your time. And on behalf of the guys here and brokers across the country have used your services and, and the Aviva's DMC services, thank you very much. And uh, we appreciate it. Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call. I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. CAS Certified.